Welcome to the Ewok Podcast, the official podcast of the East Wilton Union Church with Robbie Locke. We're glad you're here, and we hope that this podcast is a blessing to your life and helps you walk closer to God. Our goal is to help you draw close to God and understand Scripture better in its entirety. Well, without further ado, here's Robbie. If you would take your Bibles and turn with me again, please, to John's Gospel in chapter 4. John's Gospel in chapter 4. I want to reread just the two verses that we're going to focus upon this morning. John's Gospel, chapter 4, and verses 34 and 35. John chapter 4, verses 34 and 35. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me, and to finish his work. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. Let's just bow for prayer. Lord God, as we approach the word of God this morning, we do so humbly. We do so seriously. Understanding, Father, that this is your eternal word, we want to understand it so that we might be able to live it out in our daily experience. And if we listen carefully to the words of Jesus, we're going to see today that we have a mission in this world. We have a job that you have given us to do, and it is our responsibility to lift up our eyes and look to the fields and see that even now, at this very moment, there is a harvest ready to be reaped. Sometimes, Lord, we are pessimistic. Sometimes we are negative. We look at the statistics that I mentioned in my earlier prayer, that there are only relatively few in this country who would fall into the category of of born-again evangelical Christians. And, Lord, we think about the fact that so many, a good third of our people, Lord, don't identify with any kind of religion whatsoever. This, this is a concern, and we can become negative, and we can become discouraged in the process. But, Father, what Jesus says is if we will lift up our eyes, if we will look, we will find some who are ready to hear the gospel, ready to be harvested, spiritually speaking, and be saved. Oh, Lord, I pray that you would challenge our hearts today. Use your word. We'll be careful to praise you for Jesus' sake. Amen. Missions. Hmm. Probably not one of the subjects that we talk about a lot in our church. We certainly have supported our missionaries. We seek on a regular basis to pray for them, to financially support the ones that we have identified ourselves with. Many of you have made individual pledges to these missionaries or these organizations. And so we count missions a very important part of our ministry. But often when we think about missions, we think about stuff that's going on far away. (laughs) But we need to remember that missions starts right here at home, begins in our Jerusalem, and then extends to the end of the world. It begins here. And I am convinced that if we are doing nothing here to reach the lost, then we are probably ineffective in our influence in the rest of the world. And so we need to ask ourselves, 
Is this matter of evangelizing the world urgent? And if it's urgent, how urgent is it? What priority should we make the worldwide evangelization program of God? Not just right here in our community, but to the ends of the earth. I want to suggest two thoughts to you today. If you have your bulletins, you can follow along with the notes uh, that go along with the message today. Two major truths that I want you to think about. Number one, I believe, and I would ask if you believe, that the coming of the Lord is near. Do you believe that? I truly do believe that the Lord is coming again, and I believe He's coming again soon. We see the wickedness that is taking place. We see the falling away that Jesus described and the apostles talked about in these last days. And I believe that it is our responsibility in the light of the soon return of Jesus to be as actively involved and as devoted as we can to the work of missions in the world, beginning here at home, but extending to the end of the world. If we really believe the Lord is coming soon, what does that mean? If he comes soon, that means we're going to be taken out of this world. We're going to be gone. The people he has left here now to witness will be gone. We'll be carried off to heaven. And then the tribulation period begins and it's going to be a horrible time on the earth. And God has to actually raise up 144,000 evangelists to go out into the world and to preach the gospel. 12,000 Jews from each of the tribes of Israel. And they will be saved. They will believe on the Lord and they will go out in the world and preach the gospel. They will have to do this because we will be gone. Now, folks, I don't know about you, but I have family members that still don't know the Lord as their Savior, and it breaks my heart. I have friends that I'm in contact with who still do not know the Lord Jesus as their Savior. And if Jesus comes today, that is great news for you and me. But what about our unsaved friends? What about our unsaved families? What about our unsaved co-workers? What about our unsaved neighbors? What about them? Did you live this last week as, it, as if it might have been your last opportunity to spread the gospel? Now that's a sobering question, isn't it? Because we all lived our lives a certain way this last week. But my question is, were you focused in the last seven days on worldwide evangelization? Beginning here at home and then extending to the ends of the world. Because if we really believe that Jesus is coming, and if he comes today, how many want him to come today? How many would raise your hand and say, Jesus, come? I mean, that's what John prayed, the apostle, right? Even so, Lord Jesus, come, we can pray the same prayer. But if he comes today, you'll never witness again. If he comes today, you'll never get a chance to tell that family member about Christ. If he comes today, you'll never get a chance to witness to that neighbor. So if we really believe he's coming again, it ought to stimulate us to be more involved in reaching the world for Christ. Jesus said in John chapter 9 and verse 4, We must work the works, I must work the works of him that sent me, as long as it is his day, night is coming when no man can work. Jesus said there's a time to work, 
And there will be a moment when the work comes to an end. He said, while it is work time, I want to be busy about the task of my Father. And that's not only true for him, it's true for us. And folks, the end could come either by Jesus coming and taking us to heaven, or guess what? One of us might be one of those folks that will leave and go into eternity this week. Your voice one day is going to be silenced in one way or another. Will you have used the opportunities that God has given you to tell others about Jesus and his love? Now the second thing I want us to think about today, and this is a blunt statement, it really is, and, and it's hard even to say it out loud to you because of the reality of it. It strikes me in, in the very core of my being. And it is this, the unsaved are continually dying and going directly to hell. The unsaved are continually dying and going straight to hell. Now, I, I looked up some statistics. Please don't get too weighed down by this or, you know, but it, it's important. I've always thought that the world was, had just surpassed 7 billion people. I found out that in 2017, on April the 24th, the estimate went to 7.5 billion people on planet Earth. Now, I looked at what the birth rate is and how it stands today. And in the two years, since 2017 in April, there have been about 150 million more people born on the planet. Think about that. So it's 7.65 billion people on planet Earth today. And do you know that roughly... 50, now listen, this, I know it's just going to kind of, in a sense, go over our heads, but I want you to think about this. How many people die every year on planet Earth? Do you know what that number is? Here it is, based upon the estimated population of the world, 56,597,034 people die every single year. That being the case, folks, that means about 155,000 people every single day die and go out into eternity. Now, I took that down a little farther. Every hour that you and I are alive today, every hour, 6,458 people will die around the world. Every single minute, every 60 seconds, you and I are alive 108 people die every second. Now, does that blow your mind? Think about the death that is constantly going on here on planet Earth. So think about this. Our church service is from quarter to 11 until 12 o'clock as long as the pastor lets you out on time, till 12 o'clock, that's an hour and 15 minutes. In an hour and 15 minutes, while we are in church here today, 8,073 people are going to die. Now, here's my question. When they close their eyes in this world, did all of those people open their eyes in heaven? 
See, there's a lot of folks that want to believe that. Just believe that everybody's saved, everybody will end up heaven someday. You know, go whatever road you want, but we'll all end up at the same place forever. I'm sorry, that's just not true. And it's not because our church says it's not true, it's because the Bible says it's not true, and more specifically, the Lord Jesus says it's not true. He says, no man comes to the Father but by Him. If they're not saved by Jesus Christ, they don't go to heaven. Now, do I like preaching that? Absolutely not. I don't. I don't because I think about how many people are lost and it breaks my heart. I'd like to make it easy. But you've got to remember, God is not only a God of love, God is a God of holiness. And he can only allow people into heaven who have dealt with the sin issue in their lives by putting their faith and trust in Jesus Christ who was the substitute for our sins. Now, the other side is people are constantly being born. Do you know how many people are being born every year? It's more than are dying. That's why the population is growing. But they say there are 73,485,898 more mouths to feed on the planet every year. Now, folks, think about that. That means that in the hour that you and I are here in this service, around the world, 8,389 babies are being born in this hour and 15 minutes. And you know what? Those 8,389 babies need to hear the gospel at some point in their lives as well. So, so think about the task, folks. And people are dying all the time, and they're going out into eternity. And the likelihood is that the vast majority of these people are not going to heaven. They are going to hell. And as tragic as it is to say that, that is what the Bible teaches. The Bible says that the way to destruction is wide and many are in that wide road. But he says the road that leads to life is narrow and few there be that find it. Now that has to challenge us, folks. So salvation decisions are not keeping up with either the death rate or the population growth. Now, there will be people saved all over this planet today, and that's a wonderful thing. Through the work of missionaries and through the work of local churches and the preaching of the gospel in many, many places, there will be people born again on this planet. Now, it's hard to know exactly how many they are because we don't, being in all these different places, aren't able to share all the records of things that happen. But I want to tell you something, folks, that while there will be a good number of people that will be saved today, the vast majority of people will not hear the truth of the gospel. So, I come back to where I started. Is worldwide evangelization urgent? And I would suggest to you that based upon the facts that Jesus is coming soon and that people are dying and going out of eternity, the majority of them without Christ, that the need is so urgent that it ought to stir us to the very depths of our being. It should stir us to prayer. And it should stir us to witnessing. 
We'll talk about some of those things as we go along. Now, I want us to look in our passage this morning, John's Gospel, chapter 4, verses 34 and 35. And the first thing I want you to see is Jesus' declaration. Now, the disciples have been away. They've come back, and they, they say to Jesus, we, we want you to eat something. Jesus was many times, the Bible says, so busy that he couldn't even find a moment to eat. And they said, Jesus, to keep your strength up, we want you to, you know, to be able to eat some food and so on. And Jesus makes this really strange statement in verse 32. He said, I have food to eat of which you do not know. So the disciples are thinking, well, who brought him a picnic lunch? Because I don't remember you know, leaving anything for Jesus. How did he get his hands on some food so that he doesn't want what we've prepared? And in this moment of confusion, Jesus, I'm sure knowing what they're thinking, he speaks up and he says this. He says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Now, I want to stop and just talk about the first two words, my food. Can I ask you a question? Why do you eat food? Hmm? Why do you eat food every day? Why do you do that? Keep your strength up, right? We need to eat, keep our bodies uh, with the nutrients and all the stuff that we need to, to remain strong. Is there any other reason you eat? For fun. For fun. How many just love eating at least certain things, right? We all have our favorites. All you have to do is say it, and hallelujah, I'll sit down and eat it, right? Last night, uh, we had, I don't know, maybe we had 20 there. I, I, I didn't count. I should have done that, but we had enough food last night for probably 60 people. So y'all missed out. Sorry, folks, but we had all these different dishes and all this kind of stuff. And, and I want to just tell you, the 20 of us did our best effort to, to tear into it. All right? We like to eat. There is satisfaction in eating. Don't you usually, after you've eaten, don't you kind of have that kind of satisfied, it may be only just physical, but there's kind of a satisfied feeling that you have, especially if you began really hungry and now you've eaten, you feel satisfied. The disciples were concerned about Jesus' physical appetite and his physical satisfaction in his body. And Jesus said, what I want you to know is I have a kind of food that is totally different than material food, but that food satisfies me. And he says, my food is, and he defines it, to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Now, a couple of things to note. Letter A there in your notes, satisfaction only comes through doing the Father's will. True satisfaction only comes through doing the Father's world, uh, will. So he says, my, my food, my satisfaction comes from doing the Father's will. I want to suggest to you that knowing God's will is never enough. The truth is, most of us understand what God expects us to do. Now, we may have some big picture items, you know, about, you know, what job we might take or if we're, you know, thinking about some big decisions. I'm talking about what it means to be a Christian and to live as a Christian in the world. If we talked about that for a while, I believe we would, between us, come up with basically everything that we need to know to be able to live a Christian life that's pleasing to God. But knowing what God expects of us is never, ever enough. 
Because we have to do what he tells us to do, not just know what he wants us to do. Mark chapter 16 and verse 15 says, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now, most people will take that verse and just kind of lay it aside because they say, I'm not on my way to Africa. I'm not headed for Europe. I'm not going to Asia. I'm not headed for South America. So that going to all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, that applies to the people who are presently going. But that's not me because I live here and I'm staying here. Here's the problem with that idea. Every time you set your feet on the floor in the morning and stand up and get dressed, and yes, you can have your breakfast, and after you do that, every step you take after that, you are on the mission field. There was a church, uh, I'm trying to think what the name of the church was, it was in Brewer, Maine, it was a Baptist church, and on the back wall, as you walked, as you exited the auditorium and left that auditorium, they had a great big sign across the back that says, you are now entering the mission field. And I thought that was really good because it reminds us that where we are today is part of God's field. And that may be your street for you. That may be the place where you work for you. That may be... Uh, the school that you attend, that, that may be uh, in the, the job arena where you will interact with people. Maybe for you, it's something you do online and you interact with people online. Wherever you are in the world today, whatever you are doing, you are on the mission field. There are people out there that need to hear about Jesus and they need to hear about Jesus from who? Yeah, from just everyone say me, could we? Me. Now, say it again. Me. me. Everyone needs to hear from me that I can. Now, again, it's in my sphere of influence. If I don't make it to East Dixfield today, guess what? East Dixfield is not my field for today. It's where my feet take me. And so Jesus says, you know, go into all the world. Beginning at home, but going to all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. That includes every single believer. Knowing you're supposed to do it is not sufficient. You must actually obey and fulfill your responsibility. John 14, 23, Jesus says, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Now he states it in John 14, 24, He who does not love me does not keep my words. So obedience to the word of God in Jesus' mind is equivalent to loving him. Not knowing, but doing. Not knowing, but doing. Doing God's will brings true blessing, bring, brings true satisfaction. John 13, 17, Jesus says this, If you know these things, you are blessed. And we stop there. He says, if you know these things, you're blessed. But there are four more words. He says, you, if you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. 
if you do them. If you want to be blessed by God, you have to do what he tells you to do. And one of the things he tells us to do is to take the gospel to the world. The second thing I want you to notice is that satisfaction only comes by finishing the Father's work. It only comes by finishing the Father's work. In verse 34, he says, My food is to do the will of him who sent me, and to what? To finish his work. He says, My goal is not to leave it half done. My goal is to finish God's work for me. Now, by the way, it is not God's will for any one of us to reach the whole world for Christ. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good news? How many want to leave here today responsible for 7.65 billion people? How, how many want that? See, we don't, we don't want that. I always said that, you know, when Wanda used to make me a, a, a pie once in a great while, she made me a pineapple cream cheese pie, and you've never had anything like it. And she'd make me this pie, and you know what she always used to do? She used to sin. I mean, she just sinned immediately. She would take out a knife and she'd cut that baby into eight pieces. See, what I wanted was, do I, do I dare tell him, Raymond? I want to do what Raymond did for me last week. He brought me a whole pie, brother. It was wonderful. A custard pie. Now, I didn't eat it all that day, brother. I promise. I was good. But I want to tell you something. You give me a pie and give me the whole thing and pass me a spoon, and boys, you've never seen a happier boy on planet Earth, right? But I want to tell you something. God has a big pie. That big pie is the whole world. I'm glad he cuts it into all kinds of itty-bitty pieces so every one of us can have a little part. We each can have our, make our contribution to the completion of the task. Don't worry about if you reach millions. Start with one. Lord, help me to reach one. Lord, help me to share Christ with one. And then once you've done it with one, then do it with two. And then once you've done it with two, do it with three. It begins small, folks. But we have our whole lives to live for God, and we want to finish the work that he gave us to do. One has said that a good start is only that. It's just a start. That's it. Mr. Robbins at NDBI always preached to us as young men, and he said, it is very important to begin the ministry well, but make sure you end well. And that's a very important truth for every one of us. Now, I'm sure that if I asked you today, do you want Jesus someday to say to you, well done, Thou good and faithful serv uh, uh, servant, enter into the joy of thy Lord. How many want to hear that someday? Only about half of us. Okay, we're in trouble here. No, I know, I know. Some of you wouldn't raise your hands if I offered you $10,000. Well, maybe you would. I don't know about that. Here's the point. Oh, there, there he is, Corey. That arm went up. There it is. But you know what, folks? Think about this. We, we, we have this, this huge responsibility not only to start well, but to, but to finish well. It's really important. And, and if we do our part, that is what is going to be pleasing to the Father ultimately. Um, I believe that many Christians have a diminished involvement in evangelism the longer that they live. A lot of people, when they first come to know Christ as their Savior, they're so, accepted, so excited about knowing Jesus. 
You know, they've, they've just realized their sins have been forgiven. They've just realized that Jesus has come to live in their lives and the Holy Spirit indwells them. And they've learned that, that God has a purpose and plan for their lives. They, they know they're going to spend eternity in heaven forever. They know that one day they're going to be absolutely perfect, even as Jesus is perfect. They've learned all of these wonderful things as a new believer. And they're so excited. All they want to do is talk about Jesus everywhere they go. And that's wonderful. My question is, why does that enthusiasm diminish over time? Well, Jesus described it as those who have left their first love. It's not that they don't love. It's just not passionate and enthusiastic and exciting like it once was. Like the young couple that when you see him and they're and they're all Google-eyed, you know, and all they do is looking at each other and staring and drooling and not even realizing they're drooling and, I mean, all kinds of crazy stuff. They're so excited about each other and it's so wonderful. Uh, go ten years into the future. What happens in, in a lot of relationships? I mean, in the beginning, the guy opens your door and holds it, and all, oh, sweetie, get in there, be careful. Well, watch out for your dress, honey, and you know, he just. Ten years later, he's sitting in the seat. Where's that woman? Where's she going to get out here? What's going on? What happens? You know what happens? We become complacent with each other. We kind of take advantage of one another. We kind of make assumptions about each other. That they're always going to be there. They're going to do. They're going to whatever. But folks, I want to tell you something. God meant for you to fan the flames of passion in your relationship. He wants you throwing, kindling onto the fire continually. Because the truth is, when you diminish in your love, you diminish in your expressions of love. And I want to suggest to you that many of us, over the years, oh, we're getting to know Jesus better in our heads, we're studying the Bible more, and we go to church, and we do all those things. But the truth is, folks, we're not passionate about Jesus like we once were. I mean, can you think, seriously, I mean, just stop for a moment. Think, can you think of a time in your life when you were more excited about Jesus than you are this morning? I don't know about you, I can sure think of times when I was just raring to go, and I mean, you just couldn't stop me. And the truth is, it's very easy to settle into a comfortable life. We need to start well, but a good finish is the ultimate goal. In other words, you don't have to do everything that has to get done, but you have to do everything God means for you to do. You have a task. God has a plan for you. And you need to fulfill that plan because someday you will answer to Him for the job He gave you to do. When Jesus prayed the high priestly prayer in John chapter 17, He began the prayer this way. To his father in heaven he said I glorified thee on the earth having accomplished the work which thou hast given me to do he said father I've glorified you because I've finished everything you sent me here to planet earth to accomplish so I ask you 
when you stand before the Lord one day, are you going to be able to look him in the face and say, Father, I accomplished all the tasks that you wanted me to do. Now certainly Jesus had a benefit, right, of being God manifest in flesh, so he would not fail at the task. But I want to suggest to you folks that many of us may stand embarrassed in the presence of God someday because ultimately in the light of all the time we had, in the light of all the opportunities we had, we actually accomplished so very little for the kingdom of God. I'm talking about not as a church, I'm talking about as individuals. I know that not everyone will be an Apostle Paul. <laughs> but blessed friends and brothers and sisters in Christ, we can use our spiritual gifts for the glory of God. We can use our bodies as instruments. Our feet are His feet. Our hands are His hands to minister to others. We can accomplish much for God. But we've got to be at the task. We've got to be working hard. Now, I want you to notice with me here in verse 35, do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? I want you to notice that Jesus begins to admonish his disciples. And he says to them, do you not say, in other words, he says, you, you're, this is your thinking process. There are still four months before the harvest. Folks, I want to ask you something. If you believe the harvest is not till four months in the future, how much harvesting are you going to do today? Hmm? If the harvest is not till four months from now, are you, how many are going to be out there ripping the little ears of corn off while there's this, this big still? How many are going to do that? You're not going to do that. You wait for the what? The harvest. You wait for the corn to be ready. You wait for the beets to be ready. You wait for the carrots to be ready. Why? You don't want to harvest them ahead of time. And so if it's four months into the future, you're sitting back, or maybe you're doing something else, but you're not harvesting. He said, that's the way you are looking at the world. Now, try to think of it in, in maybe a more practical term. Let's say you have a job to do. You've been given a major project to accomplish, and that major project is due. It has a due date. Have you ever had that in your job? You were given a responsibility, and they wanted that project accomplished by a certain date. How many have had that kind of an experience? Several of you have. Now, I want to ask you something. If you know that you have four entire months to accomplish the task, how enthusiastically involved may you be today when it's still four months away? You know, sometimes we get, like I said, we give a, get a, given a project. I like to jump right into something I have to do and get at it. I like getting stuff done. I really, really do. Uh, once I start it, I, keep think, I go to bed at night. If it's not done, I, I can't get it off my head till. I don't care if it's six weeks before it gets done, but at night I'm still thinking, I've got to get that project done. It's due a certain, certain time, and I only have so much time to get it done. But if I knew I had four months, you know what? I might have a day every now and again where I didn't even bother to even do anything on that task. You want to know why? Because the date for completion is what? Way in the future. I want to ask you, what is your attitude and how does it change when you are two days away from the deadline? What are you doing then? 
Yeah, you're scrambling, especially if you haven't been using your time properly because you need to get done on time and you go all crazy the closer you get to the date of completion. Now, Jesus is trying to use a simple illustration like this to say, folks, listen, you need to not say the harvest, the spiritual harvest, is four months in the future because if it's that far down the road, you're not going to do anything today. You need to understand, what does he say in verse 35? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are what? All ready, white, for harvest. What Jesus says is, there is always a harvest going on. Now, any of you are farmers know that you don't do your entire harvest all in one day, right? You have different things that you're doing, and you harvest them at different levels and so on. But here's the point. There's always, at a certain time of year, there's a harvest going on. I mean, you may be haying, right, Russell? Haying, or you have gardens, or you have whatever it is, all of these different jobs that need to be done. Most of us always have something to do. But what he's saying here is that if we say, I don't need to do that for four months, I probably won't do much of anything today. I may not do much of anything tomorrow. And only as we get, we get close to the date will I pick up speed and start really doing something. And Jesus is looking at these men and he's saying, listen, do not procrastinate. Do not procrastinate. Lift up your eyes. Don't make excuses. Don't say, well, and, and you know what some of our excuses are for not witnessing? I mean, think about it. Why, why didn't you witness to people this last week if you didn't witness to anybody? Why, why didn't you do that? Sometimes we don't witness because it's not a priority. Sometimes we don't witness because we just honestly live our lives and we just don't think about it from day to day. It's just not one of the major things we think about. I, I, is any of this true in, in your experience? Yeah. Uh, sometimes we don't witness to people because you know what? We see them. And we get scared. How many of you have ever gotten really nervous or scared about the thought of witnessing to somebody? Just three of you. Okay, all right. I'm glad you're all so bold. I want to tell you, it can be frightening. It can be frightening. Sometimes we don't witness, and you know why? Because we look at the person, we say, they don't seem open, so I'll wait until they seem more open. Anyone's ever said that? What happens if they die tomorrow? I mean, do you ever have that happen where somebody dies before you get to them with the gospel? You're just staring at me. But folks, I think all of us have had that experience. Somebody's died and we think to myself, I knew that person, I loved that person, I was close to that person, and I never once even tried to tell them about Jesus. Why? Well, they're not really interested. or they, you know, they, They've said no in the past, so I'm sure they don't want to hear anything. We can easily convince ourselves to do nothing. We make excuses. And Jesus is saying, no more excuses. Here's what you need to do. Lift up your eyes. Stop and take time to look. What do you see when you see people? Do you just see tall, short, skinny, fat? Do you see black, white, brown, whatever? What is it you see when you see people? What the Lord Jesus wants you to see is souls that are either saved or souls that are lost. 
He wants you to see people going to heaven or people going to hell. And he says, lift up your eyes. Don't procrastinate. Don't make excuses. Look on the fields. What do you see? The Bible says in Matthew 9, 35 to 38, that Jesus was going about the cities and the villages, preaching and teaching and, and healing and doing miracles amongst the people. And it says that as he was preaching and teaching, he looked at the multitudes and he was moved with compassion. And that word compassion comes from a Greek word that has to do with your stomach being tied up in knots. That kind of awful feeling that you get when your stomach is all tied up in knots. When he saw people, he, all he could think was, saved or lost, saved or lost, saved or lost. And he wanted them to be what? He wanted them to be saved. And you know what he asked them to do? It's interesting. We think, well, of course, he told them to go and witness, right? He told them to go and preach, right? No. That came next. But you know what he asked him to do first? He said this. Verse 37. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous. He didn't say it will be. He says it is plenteous, but the laborers are few. There is a lot of work to be done and few people to do the work. That's what Jesus said. And then he said this. Pray. But pray for what? Pray for the loss? Well, we need to do that too. But that's not what he wants them to pray about here. He says, pray the Lord of the harvest, who I believe is referenced here in this context to the Holy Spirit, because it's the Holy Spirit who is, is convincing people of sin and righteousness and judgment so that they can be saved. He's the Lord of the harvest. It says, pray the Lord of the harvest that he will what? Send forth laborers into his harvest. You know what their prayer request needed to be? Lord, send workers out into your harvest field. Now I want you to think about that because Jesus was very wise in saying this to them. You want to know why he was very wise? He was very wise because he knew that if he could sincerely get them praying about a need, at some point the Holy Spirit would ask them to participate participate in the fulfilling of that need. In other words, if they began to ask for laborers, they would eventually offer themselves as laborers in his vineyard. Folks, it's awfully hard to pray for someone in a need and not be willing to help them yourself. Not be willing to be used of God to help them. We need to be willing to say, God, please send forth laborers, and Lord, let one of those laborers be me. Remember when Isaiah saw the Lord in all his glory in the temple, and what did, what did he hear? He heard the voice of God. After he'd been cleansed, he heard the voice of God, and God said, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I believe that's the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit saying, We have a job that needs to be done. Who will go for us? And Isaiah looked around, and he was the only boy in class that day. And you know what his response was? His response was, Here am I, Lord, but please send my sister. Is that what he said? No, he said, Here am I, send 
Me. Listen, you get praying about the lost being saved. You get praying for laborers to go out and to witness. And I'm not talking about just missionaries to the foreign field. I'm talking about Christians to go out and witness. You pray and pray and pray about that. And eventually, God is going to put the burden on your heart to fulfill and answer your own prayer and be involved in sharing Jesus with others. When it comes to worldwide evangelizations, there are three things we can do. Number one, we can go. Some of us can go to the foreign fields and thank God for people who are willing to surrender their lives as missionaries and go out to those foreign countries and preach the gospel of Christ. Thank God for those people. But not all of us are going to be able to do that. In fact, few of us will end up doing that. We not only can go, we can pray. Pray for God to raise up other laborers to go, but we can pray for the laborers that have gone. Not just their financial needs, but their ministry needs. And then there's one last thing that we can do. We can help others go. We help them by our prayers, but we help them by our giving. That's why we have a missions program here at the church. We receive funds. We give a, a percentage of our income that comes in the general fund, goes to missions. People make pledges to individual missionaries or ministries, and we send that money out every year. And that's a blessing. It's a joy to be able to do that. But listen, folks. We can't meet the needs of evangelizing the whole world, but we can eat our piece of pie. And I ask you to think about, we're about a month away from taking our missionary pledges for two, uh, 2020. And I just want to ask you to pray, Lord, what would you have me to do this year? I am not going to put any kind of pressure on this issue. Some have felt I talk about it too much, so I'm going to back off it. I'm going to make the need known for that month. We're going to pass out the papers, and I'm going to just say every week, the paper's there. If you want to make a pledge, here are the people. These are their needs. You do what God leads you to do, and at the end of the month, it'll be what it'll be, and that's it. But I want to tell you something, folks. I'm already praying about what God wants me to do because I'm not responsible for you, right? You're not responsible for me. We're not responsible for each other. When it comes to giving, that's between you and God and you and God alone. What I want you to do is just pray because he says pray for laborers. And you can't pray for laborers without also praying, Lord, provide so the laborers can go. Someone said the gospel is free, but the postage is very high. And it does. It costs a lot for missionaries to go to the foreign field. I'm so burdened. I, I think my, my heart is mostly burdened for Marco and Jenny and for Donna because they're part of our congregation. I love the other missionaries. I'm in touch with them all the time. I pray for them. But these folks are part of our congregation. And I want you to think and pray as you think about pledging for this year. Think about those two particularly because they're part of us. And certainly... Uh, Living Waters is another one. We don't support Roger and Karen directly. We support the camp. But it would be wonderful to see some more support. Roger grew up in this church. He was a part of this congregation. The other people have had no connection, really, to our church. But these folks have. Think about them. Pray about helping them in the coming year through your missionary giving. We go. We pray that people will go. And then we help people that choose to go by our prayers and by our giving. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for the joy of being here in your house today. 
Lord, this is our missions weekend, and it is appropriate for us to talk about missions. It's appropriate to talk about the great needs that exist in the world today. And Lord, to think that some 8,000 people have gone out into eternity just while we've been in church this morning. And where did they go, Lord? Did they go to heaven or did they go to hell? Father God, I just pray that you would stir our hearts with this truth and help us to realize that while we may never get to, to South America or to Africa or, or to Asia or to Europe or to Australia, Lord, we can get up every day and wherever our feet take us, that is our mission field. Please stir us, Lord to follow through on our responsibility, not just to begin well, not just to embrace the task, but to finish the work you have given each and every one of us to do individually. And if we each do our individual part, Lord, that little bit all over the place will add up to a great amount, and you'll be mightily glorified, Father. Precious souls will be saved because the harvest is white, not in four months, but today. Give us the ability to look with passion. Give us the ability to feel compassion. To be torn up inside over the fact that people are lost eternally. And do all that we can to bring people to Christ. Bless your word to our hearts and we'll thank you for Jesus' sake. Amen. And this has been the Ewok Podcast with Pastor Robbie Locke. We hope you've enjoyed this sermon today. And tune in next week for another sermon from this passage. If you'd like to contact us, send us an email. And we will get back to you as soon as we can. Thanks. Enjoy the rest of your day.